0: For 52 weeks, an entire year, it has been on the New York Times bestseller list. It has been translated into 15 languages and has sold over 5 million copies around the world. Now, one of the best-loved stories of all time is about to become... An exciting motion picture. Daryl Hannah is Gila in
1: The Clan of the Cave Bear. You know, just because you say it's an exciting motion picture doesn't mean it's true.
0: No, and you think after 52 weeks on the bestseller list... An
1: entire year. An entire year. That's important to remember. 52 weeks is a whole year. That you
0: even get the main character's name right in the trailer.
1: <laughs> this is Lord of the Rings starring Frobo and his friend Cam. <laughs> <laughs> that's upsetting. But what's not upsetting is that we are back for another action-packed, fun, educational, possibly exciting episode of 14 Months Apart. I am Bob Barrow, your host...
0: And I'm Jacqueline Barrow, your co-host.
1: Co-host, other host, multiple hosts. It's a dual host situation.
0: Two. (laughs) Two.
1: (laughs) No, just two, Bob. Just move on. But no, we want to thank you guys for joining us again. Uh, We hope you enjoyed episode six, our fun look at Titanic, which I guess you could say was fun. Well. Yeah. It's a little melancholy. Yeah, just, you know, dead Irish babbies. But uh, as we were doing last week, as we've been doing all months of September, we have been rejoicing in the fact that uh, uh, our parents plowed and made Jack. So it's been her (laughs) birthday month celebration, so Titanic was all her fault, uh, not just the episode, but the ship itself. It was Um, my fault. Yeah, she had some horseshit ideas about rivets, and now there's a bunch of dead Irish people. So I hope you feel great about it. Wow. So to continue that celebration, we are going to be looking at a pretty big thing for my sister, a pretty big deal. Jack, A huge deal. What are we doing this week? Because these people, no, none of our listeners have, you know, looked at the episode title. Nothing except mom. Yeah. Yes. Mom's the only one He's like, I know what it is! They're my babies.
0: Um, actually, it was Mom who brought me to this in the first place. Okay. So, this episode, we will be looking at Gene M. All's 1980...
1: Yeah, let me check my notes. 1980 is correct.
0: 1980 publication, Clan of the Cave Bear, and the unfortunate film to follow it in 86, <laughs> The Clan of the Cave
1: Bear. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... So this, this is, we, like, just to interject here for a quick second, sure. on our second episode we kind of talked about uh, kind of watershed movies for us. And we were talking about Romeo and Juliet and especially Hellraiser 3 for me personally. I have a feeling something like the book of Clan of the Cave Bears has kind of a Hellraiser 3 resonance for you. This was a bit of a a, light, a turning point. You weren't the same person after this. No,
0: it was huge. It's funny because we've said this before. We keep finding things and I say, oh, that, that was me. That changed me. That changed yeah. me. I had so many things that changed me. With this one, uh, this book actually would be the thing to dictate the rest of my academic life.
1: Okay, so I tell us tell us the story then. You said mom gave it to you. How the hell did you come as a child to this adult technical manual about cavemen and well, people? Well,
0: I was always reading books that were above my tax bracket.
1: Above your pay grade? <laughs> I yeah. just didn't
0: find um, YA or teen books interesting yeah. or stimulating for me in any way. So I was always reading adult novels. And mom, who loves a good historical fiction, especially if there's romance involved, she had this book lying around and... I love history, I still do, but so she recommended it to me, and I fell in love with it from the first sentence, I think, and then proceeded to read it probably 18 times, including yeah, this, over this oh late summer.
1: Yeah, there there's a serious obsession with this, and for those that don't know *Clan of the Cave Bear, like, just Google a picture. This isn't a small book. No, it's, it's really meaty. Yeah, it's... it's it's just funny for me to say, because it's, it's under 500 pages. So let's see what the... But, you know, which cop, how Jack's currently flipping through the
0: It's 495 yeah. pages.
1: So, yeah, and I am I read epic fantasy, so I'm used to reading books that are eight 900 pages long. Yeah. So when I say it's not a long book, but it's a long book that is... Ooh, there's a lot going on. There's,
0: there's a lot yeah. of plot. There's a lot of... Scientific facts, history, archaeology in it. So just to give you a rundown, a basic rundown on the plot, uh, this book takes place around the time that early modern humans and Neanderthals were coexisting, and really that struggle for existence you keep... (laughs) Bob's chair keeps
1: <laughs> The hydraulics in my chair sinking. is fucked. So, uh, Jack's saying this. So, early modern humans and I'm just sinking down like That's a bad That's like a lot of my Marx students brothers. when they hear me go on about this. Yeah.
0: Um so it's between 35,000 and 25,000 years ago. So, we're talking old. This isn't 1912 Titanic. No. We're talking late upper Stone Age and it's dealing with the interaction between those two groups of people the neanderthals are about to go out with a whimper
1: <laughs> yeah they they've had their fun yes yeah they've they've had their party. they've subsisted
0: for a long time early neanderthals on the scene about 100,000 years ago so they've they've had their fun
1: yeah they've had a, a good long climb so they've been you could say that species of of hominid would have been around were around longer than we've been oh yeah yeah without a doubt so they were they were working on their you know smocks and inability to wear pants yeah. in the winter <laughs> for a while. Okay, no, so that that's where we are in terms and of the world. That's
0: where we are in terms of the world. So let's just put a date on it of thirty thousand years ago, and in come early modern humans who are now sustaining their own cultures. They've got art, they've got music, they've got their own lifeways, and they're pushing these little Neander- well, they're not little Neanderthals to the fringes. And this, I think, is what Jean was trying to capture in her books, mm-hmm. is this clash between um, our closest relative, if not a subspecies, and us—and I'm standing really scientific—it's
1: actually a really enthralling book. So it's it's important that we point this out because we have pointed this out before, Jack. You you have seventeen degrees <laughs> from Kevin Bacon in in a myriad of subjects, but you you have degrees because of this book. I do, okay.
0: and. When I first started at university, I took an English and history degree. Then when I went back, I wanted to continue on with that. But I took an anthropology class and I fell in love with it. And I switched my entire focus for my academics and became obsessed uh, with the Stone Age past. (laughs) And that has led me to the career that I have now. So now I teach at Fleming. I teach communications but I teach my own course, which I got to write anthropology. And within that I get to explore all of this, which is like a dream come true.
1: So if Jack goes into teaching mode, if you start to feel like I feel like <laughs> I'm in class, that's why she is an actual teacher that teaches this shit. Tomorrow's lecture is actually
0: all about <laughs> early modern humans in the yeah,
1: They're actually gonna force you should just have him sit and listen to this episode because it's obviously gonna be brilliant. Uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a wrap. Episode done. You no, know, so we you had, you had spoken about this because we were obsessive people and we were ab- obsessive children. Before we get into the meat, I would like to share some embarrassing tales, because Jack, you didn't just Uh-oh. read this book. There were a lot of times when you <laughs> wanted to live this book. Oh,
0: and I did. Yeah,
1: specifically <laughs> with a certain too, family God. member. Oh, poor tell, Tasha. Tell us, some, tell us a little bit about Tasha's poor trip back to... She Cape was Indies.
0: actually really willing to participate in these games, so because I became so wrapped in it, and because I, I had this theatrical side, I wanted to act it out. I wanted to... <laughs> to know what it was like to live at that time period and my cousin Tasha, hey Tash, uh, who's a couple <laughs> years younger than me, I got a forester to play along yeah. and she was assigned the role of Uba Yeah. and I played the main character of Ayla. Yes. Less important of that is the things that we did. So we fashioned our own um, hunting slings and tried <laughs> to learn how to... Kill animals? We never did kill animals with them. Uh, in the back corner on green lawn. Yes. We made a little it's lean our, it's to our suburban house. We were drying yeah. herbs, <laughs> which were probably just grasses and leaves. Yeah. We were. We did crazy. So we hadn't bought rabbit skins from the farmers market and skulls. Tasha was really good at negotiating the price down for this. <laughs> I don't. Some kind of skull that we bought from a guy at the <laughs> farmers market in Peterborough. but she. She played right along and it was awesome because we go out in the woods for hours and just pretend we were making fires and skinning deer and you know, nor- <laughs> normal things. Totally yeah. normal to do when you're a ten at eleven. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh okay. So, so that was part of the whole obsession. Yeah.
1: So I I'm watching all this from a distance because as a young person, I I made one attempt at I think thirteen or fourteen to read Clan of the Cave Bear. Oh,
0: did you? I didn't yeah. know that. So
1: I'm like, my, my sister's fucking obsessed with this. I can <laughs> I can read big books. I'd started reading Wheel of Time by this point, so I could I could handle a, a large novel. So because as Jack's reading all these adult books, like I'm sitting in the car next to her, I'm like, Goosebumps is fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the best shit. Nothing will ever get better than this shit. You believe this? It's monster blood. Well, fuck with it. <laughs> So <laughs>
0: Whatever works for you. It's reading. It's so
1: I made an attempt. I remember sitting down with it, and I had your copy of the book, because obviously it was your copy, and I get, like, seven pages into it. I'm like, this is the stupidest fucking book. I've ever. this little kid, the is and wandering around. Everyone's dead. There's no plot. She's in the woods. Like, get your shit together. Like, the fucking North Star, look up. Like, as, like, my Boy Scout instincts kick in, so I just right. get angry with so her. So just to
0: give some context of how horrible that last statement was, the the book opens with a young Ayla. Four. Four years old, separated from her parents yeah, uh, as eight, a result eight, of eight. a massive earthquake somewhere yeah. in, let's say, Ukraine, because I believe that's where it was, yeah. just south of the glacier cover at the time. And she's wandering aimlessly in a horribly dangerous landscape. Gets attacked by a cave lion, and then she gets picked up by a roaming homeless group of Neanderthals.
1: Yes, <laughs> they were just hobo Neanderthals. They've walked up to her was like, "Got any change, mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember reading it. I'm just like, this is fucking aggravating. I just, I wasn't having it. Like my head, yeah. I wasn't in the headspace. It's not for, it. for everybody. So I had never read it. We watched the shit out of the movie as kids, which we will discuss in the second half of this episode very solemnly. Yeah. But I never tried the book until this time, until getting ready for prep for this episode. This was, what, your 18th reread of it?
0: Well, probably not that much. I'm probably exaggerating a bit. But let's say I've read it about 10 times. Yeah.
1: So you've, you've been thorough. Like, you haven't skipped I've on your reading I've been
0: thorough, this. not to mention I have a degree in this exact subject, so... Yeah. <laughs> and she's got everything in there that I learned. So, yeah, it's...
1: Okay. So, I sat down to read this. I'm like, this is okay. It's like, 500 pages. It's my Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an easy... Re- it should, that should have been an easy read for me. It took me almost six weeks to read this book. Yeah, you and struggled, eh? This... That six weeks is unheard of. I finished this book last week. I've read three novels since then. 400-page novels <laughs> since I finished It's not a quick this.
0: read. It's not one of those books that you pick up and you say, oh, I love it, and you stay up till 3 in the morning, turn in the no. page, and you just eat it up. It's really intense. It's really loaded, top-heavy with information yeah. to process. So it's not a... And that's why I'm like still shocked that it, it was such a phenomenon. Because well, usually the books that we see are those page-turners.
1: Well, it's funny because when you... If you really go back and look at, like, the history of, like, the best-selling novel, right, which is a, a, a semi-recent phenomenon, really since the 60s and 70s when mm-hmm. publishing changed, I've heard people talk about this, like, documentaries about Stephen King and stuff, and their editors are like, usually we're pretty good. We know what's going to hit. And then all of a sudden, we turn around and fucking In the Name of the Rose is the biggest yeah. book in the world. Yet an outlier. Yeah. So I think something like this, it's not surprising that it blew up because it's so drastically different than. Uh, because this kind of kickstarted this way, because there's been others. Uh, there's the. Uh, People of the Lake...
0: Oh, Mom used Ch- to read those all yeah, the time. Yeah, Children
1: of the Dairy Queen, like whatever. <laughs> There's like 700 of them. Yeah. But it kicked off its own... Like, this started the genre.
0: You A could, prehistoric historical fiction, yeah. Yeah. In To this degree. And I guess looking at it from that idea that it was so new and so different, the 80s really needed something for people to escape into. Yeah. Socially, economically.
1: Well, it's, it's funny because the 80s, you had, like, obviously... Stephen King's the biggest writer in the world, Yeah. Tom Clancy's huge, you're having a massive paperback horror boom that's happening, so to see something like this kind of jump in and fill an obvious void, Mm -hmm. it's it's not surprising why it was a success reading it, because it is so drastically different. It reminds me a lot of Michael Crichton, in a way, where there's, you're getting a lot of technical information an incredible amount yeah and but she's more interested in her characters than Michael Crichton is like his characters are there because you have to have characters in a book yeah and that's I love that about Michael Crichton's books like they just rip the good ones But that's what, this has echoes of it to me. So, you know, his books are popular at this point, so that she fills that perfect void. And
0: when I was doing a little bit of research on her as a writer, she didn't, so she's 83 now. Uh, She published this later in her life. Mm -hmm. And it started with a research obsession, really. And she was researching into these groups of people and then started thinking, well, what did they eat? What did they do all day long? There had to be stories there. So, after spending days at the library researching, she came home and told her husband, I have an idea for six books. And he's like, We well, haven't even written one. She's like, It doesn't matter. I have it all planned out. And it kind of just went from there.
1: <laughs> and now, it took her 30 plus years to write the six books.
0: And then she added a seventh, I think. The.
1: Well, Land Painting. Is that the sixth? Caves is six. Okay.
0: They get stupid. She loses the narrative. She does. And the first two I loved. The second one, I think what happened is she realized what her demographic was and realized that they were middle aged women. Yeah. So she did the E.L. James Fifty Shades of Grey before E.L. James was probably even born. Yeah. And it just becomes prehistoric erotica. And I can't, it just. But it's this too first
1: one really does stay on message.
0: Incredibly so. And it's powerful, and it brings up a lot of things that a lot of people weren't thinking about or still don't think about.
1: Well, you had mentioned that things that she had been kind of at the the early stages of, you know, like, researching. The, when this came out, there would have been, like, one paper discussing something, so she put it in the book, and now yeah. it's considered...
0: Now it's being taught in universities. So let's take, for example, the character of Krebs. Um So he's the... Uh, magic man the shaman the,
1: sh- the witch doctor yeah
0: in the clan so he's neanderthal and she based his entire persona physicality and everything else on a burial uh Shanidar 1 is what he's called uh, it was a cave in Shanidar Iraq and she recreated his life the same as with Isa who is the medicine woman who adopts Ayla as her daughter uh, was based on a female skeleton they found buried in the fetal position with flowers on top of it, much like they describe her. Her very okay. Yeah, so she took these early publications of these scientific papers and then created this entire world, which I love because I always tell my students anthropology and archaeology is like writing science fiction. So we take science and we tell stories with it.
1: Yeah, try and assign a, okay, we found this bone next to this bone. How could it have got there? So yeah. you have you have to create some kind of narrative to get your your math to line up, which just blows my
0: mind because yeah. we forget often in archaeology that these were people. They're bones, there's remains, there's stone tools. Boring to some, but people did it. So I think this book really hits home that there was this whole like hundred thousand years of living before we even got here.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think as as much it was. As it was a slog, and it was a <laughs> slog, but it was—it's probably one of the most perplexing books I've ever read. Oh, and I'm like I'm a—you you know me, people that know me—I'm a reader. I'm I—I I read a lot of books.
0: Perplexing, like, yeah, and found way? it
1: very perplexing because usually, if I'm reading a book and I'm not enjoying it, I'm just not enjoying it. Like it's—it's mm-hmm. it's either the the prose is garbage, the story's fucked. Like there's you can tell pretty quick. I like to get. I'll give a book about 100 pages to fix some mistakes. Because sometimes, like, you go to a a concert, you're going to expect that the first song or two, the vocalist, everyone's going to take a little time to get warmed up. They're not going to come out and just crush it. So by the 100-page mark, if you can't get me, like, I gave you every chance. You know, Christ, I read half of It before I threw it the fuck out the window. And I love Stephen King. I've read 50 of his books. But with this one... It would go through these amazing, incredibly interesting, insightful passages, and you're caught up and swept up in the world and the characters and how they're talking about the difference between Neanderthal and and us, and we'll talk about that in a sec because it's the best part of the whole book. And all that would be going on, I'd be like, holy shit, this is so fucking good. And it would feel like a book that you'd want to stay up till three in the morning and read during those moments. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it's like if somebody walked into the room when she was writing and farted or, like, (laughs) punched her in the back of the head or something. But it would just be like someone else stepped in and started information-dumping nothing. And the book would just...
0: (sighs) Yeah, and then a couple pages of description of flora and fauna and glaciers. And I found that all fascinating, but it was a lot like reading... Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, specifically, when they would go on their walks and they would just go on and on with the singing and carousing and nothing's happening. So, I, yeah, I hear you.
1: Those mo, because it's, you're getting a lot of, like, like Jack said, you're getting a lot of detail and a lot of historical stuff, and that that to me is fascinating when Ease is explaining all the different uses of the herbs and stuff. When she's talking about it, I found that awesome. It's the shit I love about Harry Potter. When they're sitting in class and the teacher's like, oh, well, you know, worm roots good for gout and erectile dysfunction, Snape. <laughs> like, it's all that shit's amazing. And she would do that for chapters on end. And then she'd just stop, and for 15 pages you would just get a dissertation on... Like you said, the flora and fauna around the cave. Like, well, you just had your characters talking about it, and you've established that they walk around and talk to each other, and you're having teaching moments while you're walking around talking.
0: And that's something that she got better at as the books went on, but then she lost that magic of recreating that prehistoric world and getting caught up in the soap opera. Okay. Kind of narrative. So I guess this was her first. ...debut novel and to oh hit God. what it did was great, but you could definitely see that she's a... It's a first novel. ...a first novel. And for the first novel, it's an epic.
1: Oh, for a first novel, this is a bomb, like, going off. Like, this is a huge fucking achievement yeah. for a first book. Most first books are like, okay, there's a voice in there. Like, let's, let's keep trying this. Like, let them flex. But you had said capturing the world and creating that prehistoric world... And there are a lot of moments in the book when you have a sense of the crushing distance between them and us. Yes. And every now and then, at least for me, I found, I would get this flash of, holy fucking shit, like, it's not going to matter what they do. No. Like, it's well, obviously it matters, because it's each little teensy step. But it's, like, 30,000 years isn't deep time, but it's close, like it's it's enough that we can perceive it. Yeah. And there were moments where I was like, "Ooh, it gives you a little shiver of just how long ago this was."
0: And that's how I feel. The best I can describe it that feeling is you know when you go to Warsaw caves and you get in the caves and you can smell that damp, dank earth. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of when I think of this book because there's this <laughs> chilling, like feeling that runs up your spine about that was the precipice for these individuals. Yeah. And there was no moving forward. And I think the book explores that really well when Kreb realizes at the end that this is a they're a dead end. Yeah. They don't have a big frontal lobe. They can't process any other decision than what they're used to. Yeah.
1: Well let's let's talk about that then because for me the most interesting part of the book is the difference between caveman and ayla between yeah. the, the Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon man. And when she really hammers into that, that's the most interesting part. When because when they find uh Ayla at the start, she's coming from a culture where they have a fully developed language. They yes. talk to us. They talk to each other like we do. Yeah, that's, they have the abilities. Yeah, they have their brain is the right size, their vocal cords work, but when they get to the Neanderthals, they speak with noises, but it's very much a gesture culture Yes, and it's body language and it's looks and it's not looking and all that kind of stuff. So she has to learn because they are so locked into their behavior that it's, it's not even learned behavior. It's instinctual.
0: It is. And she almost She seems like the dumb one. Yeah. She seems like the person who can't adapt and can't understand. And I think that's an interesting juxtaposition because on the second book, um, they briefly show some interactions with uh, the Cro-Magnon or the early modern humans. And it's the Neanderthals that seem dumb. But it's really cool how she flipped it on on its head and showed her trying to adapt to learning that. And it was a struggle because I think it would be a struggle for us
1: too. Well it's like you're it's like going into any culture and trying to learn another language and but at the same time you're not just learning the language in order to speak you have to learn the cultural subtleties and it's like how many different ways are there to shake someone's hand in the western world yeah and how different each and every one of those things are and the meaning and how you can Insult somebody, be warm, be indifferent. You know, well, we stuff we take for granted. Yeah, Yeah. all kinds of stuff that you just learn as you're growing. Well, you, she's having to learn all of this, those little idiosyncrasies, on top of trying to talk to them because that's all they need. All of those faculties to be able to have some kind of a language.
0: Plus, she has the brain cognition to question why it's happening, which they don't, and they wouldn't have. We assume that they wouldn't have. Um, because of the way that their skull was shaped and the brain would have developed. They had bigger brains than us, FYI, listeners. <laughs> um, they did. They had a brain capacity of about 1,500 cubic centimeters. We have about 1,400 cubic square center, or cubic centimeters. Sorry, um, So they had a bigger brain, but their frontal lobe was compressed. So they they just did what they did. Without question. Mm-hmm. So in comes Ayla, who's dealing with the communication issues and dealing with the, well, why can't I do this?
1: Yeah, why why should I do this right now? That makes no sense. Yeah. Like a, any precocious little child would behave why the same way. Why can't I
0: jump? Why can't I smile and right. run and laugh and play and sing
1: and cry? Well, that's, it's, it's something I had done some reading about because you see so many, like every animal in the animal kingdom, the baby is born and then it's got a set amount of time to get up and do shit. Like sometimes know, eight life. hours, yeah. sometimes four minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like giraffes, wildebeest. Most prey animals, like when you see them like born, that, that gangly giraffe after it falls 38 feet to the ground, it's got like five minutes to stand up or they just walk the fuck away. Yeah. Which is hilarious, but horrible. So because you deal, you're dealing with species that have instinctual memory. Yes, they come out of the womb built for that,
0: and that's what they yeah. keep pushing on and pointing on in here is the clan memories. Yeah, that these people were born with.
1: Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Is is there obviously we can't know for certain, but is there research to back that up or is no? It's she impossible.
0: She had to take a lot of liberties with this. So basically, all that she's working off is skeletal remains and the sites that they found, and some some conjecture about whether this stuff actually happened. So really good case in point is, um, Krebs skeleton. Mm. So this guy was found deformed, atrophied. So he lost a limb at an early age because there was evidence of the bone healing. He had extreme arthritis in his spine and his knees. His head was crushed probably from a falling rock injury, but because he lived to be between 35 and 45 years old, which was ancient at the time. Yeah. Um, it means that he had some type of medical care and that there was enough culture and society that somebody cared for him. They weren't animals. Uh, again, the burial of Iza with flowers meant there was some type mm-hmm. of culture. There was something. So aside from those things, she had to take liberties with the rest of it. Okay.
1: Is, is it something that's been discussed? Because you see that in the animal kingdom with instinctual memories. Now, race memory is different being able to you know a wolf is born with instincts is it doesn't mean it's born with its dad's memories
0: there's something to be said about again the shape of their skull and because they had such a large it's called the occipital region and the back of the skull Mm -hmm. that's where your deep memories are are stored like in that area and there's been some talk as to whether that could have
1: happened okay
0: nothing nothing scientific we can't know we'll never know
1: until we can, like, clone one up and ask, like, what's the last thing you remember? They what? are
0: working on cloning a Neanderthal. Oh, my God. They have sequenced the genome
1: in Germany. Well, they've got to get somebody to sell insurance. But there's so. some, some
0: like, thing called ethics is getting in the way. Oh,
1: yeah. Like, teens like is may. it
0: human? Does it have human rights? No. Should we keep it in a cage? Probably. Probably not. Probably maybe. Who knows?
1: Yeah. I don't know. They don't seem to be <laughs> Is it violent? Is it going to be proud? Like, yeah. who knows? <laughs> but that, all that stuff to me, because it's, you you can see her the Ayla in the book taking these leaps ahead of them, and it's because she can think three dimensionally. Like when yes. she meets them at the start, and they've lost their cave because uh, Ursus,
0: Ursus is the great Ursus, yeah. Yeah. is the great cave <laughs> yeah. bear.
1: Is, Isis the bear was mad, so he brought an earthquake, <laughs> and so they had to go find the new a new house. It's
0: called global warming slash climate change. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So they there she brings you into their headspace very quickly is how they work because they're they've walked as far as they think it's safe without having to go and stay at, you know, Grog's cave for a couple minutes. <laughs> so they're standing there and you're listening to this internal monologue of the, the leader of the the clan going like. I don't know what to do. Like he's literally those scenes where they're straining against their limitations. Yeah, and, they, and the few of them that know the limit, like they can feel that they should get, they should have more. Yeah, but they just can't push that extra inch. I wonder to, if that's how stupid people feel. Because <laughs> I've had those moments where you just stare at a fucking thing. It's like I can't make it go. And yeah, someone's like, "Oh, you got to turn it on."
0: Yeah, and it, that I can imagine how frustrating that would be being. Just beyond that reach yeah. of brain complexity
1: of brain thinking. It's like when there's the a brain. word on
0: the end, the end of your tongue, and you're like, yeah. "Oh my god, I know what this actor's name is, and it's right there." And you just but I'm dumb. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I forget.
1: But all I can think about is the five different kinds of cheese strings I can name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in that scene, he's flipping out because he's like, "Okay, I have my geographic references, like very much like an animal view of the landscape." Well. Whereas Ayla, the four-year-old, is like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to go look around the corner. Maybe there's a cave around the corner. And it's, you could almost consider it pandering, but that's the thought process. That's what we would do. It's like, oh, I can't find my shoe. Oh, maybe I'll go look in the closet, or I'll go look somewhere else, or where maybe else Maybe the could dog it picked be? it up and took it yeah. somewhere
0: else. Instead, if it's not here, I can't yeah. see it. It doesn't exist anymore. I don't see
1: cave. Don't no look. We're not cavemen anymore, fellas. We're the clan of the uh, hill rat. Yeah. Go live in that hole. Like, that's (laughs) what they're on the verge of. So that stuff is fun for me because it makes me, or at least reading the book when I wasn't falling asleep, it made me think of my own thought process and how we learn and what it would be like to, because I've been around, I know shitloads of people that are way smarter than me. And that's pretty obvious, because I just use the word shitloads talking yeah. about people being smarter than me. <laughs> so, I've had those moments of talking with somebody like, you just, you, you're you fucking somewhere else, man. Like, And I'm not a stupid person. There <laughs> which there is are different types of intelligences, though, so Bob. Don't underrate yourself. That's true. I won't underrate myself at all. <laughs> Estimate, Jacqueline, <laughs> professor. Um, but, that is so fascinating that that frustration and the dichotomy and the and her learning and then watching her learn and know they can't, and feeling trapped in that
0: well, and Krebs says that to her when he's the one that knows how much she actually knows, yeah, because she learns how to count past three, yeah right away and then she's all of a sudden adding and counting to 20 and he's like oh my god don't tell anybody or they're yeah. going to kill you man yeah, they're going to cut your fucking hands off <laughs> yeah. so you don't
1: count no more no like,
0: you just you can't do it and then you get the other side of isa being frustrated with her because she has a different intelligence she has the ability to learn but it's through memorization whereas isa is teaching her own um biological daughter the about being a medicine woman and she just knows She's got yeah. this innate ability to understand where she's like Ayla doesn't have the memories. She has to keep repeating and repeating and repeating. Yeah.
1: She knows what the herbs are because she's born with the knowledge. Yeah, it's that race memory. So, but that's that was funny when they brought up that scene of she she repeats it over and over and over and over and usually she gets it. And this is a ten year old like that ten year old. She's got shit going on. Like she's way advanced.
0: Well, she's already had a baby. Yeah,
1: you know, been attacked by a lion. Like all kinds of horrible shit has happened, and it's cold. And there's no toilet paper. No, they didn't even go into that. No, and thank God for that, because it's just disgusting. Like, the the odor alone.
0: I'm always fascinated to know how they deal with that in books. Aren't you? People poop? Yeah, like the pooping and the peeing and the periods and all that stuff. Like, how did they deal with it? Do you never think about that? Well... Like, when people don't write about it, you don't think about it. It's just better not to talk about it. But then I want to know, how is it disposed of? Where are they going? I've read a lot of prehistoric fiction since then,
1: and some of them deal with it. I've never... Like, I've... Okay. In high fantasy that I've read, Nobody they poops and bucks. They talk about, you know, they have to go and and, you know, answer the call of nature. They have to go and use the privy or whatever. I, I think like in something like Wheel of Time it would be weird if he stopped the series like Rand had to take a big steamy dump. You know what? I'm gonna write eating, that in my novel. They've been eating dried cheese and bread and shitty water for three days and they ate crab apples and Rand just shat all well, over his Okay, pants. so
0: people get diarrhea, they get constipated, they have babies, it's all it's not nice and clean, but no one ever deals with
1: it. Well, because getting the shits is funny. So, it just is. (laughs) Is It is. (laughs) Like, there's no way to describe, like, you can use the word diarrhea, but just say the word diarrhea with a straight face. Diarrhea. Yeah, she's failing. You can't see it right now, but she's failing misery. Dysentery. Yeah, because it's a fucking hilarious thing. The shits are just funny. Poop is funny, especially when it's liquid and it's everywhere and it's down the backs of your legs and it's just horrible. But you can't have a serious into like, Ayla's you know, learning how to count and is sitting there like, oh, I can't, my species is doomed and I'm, everyone's going to die. <laughs> oh, then shit well, my I rap. Mean, like
0: <laughs> I just, I I feel like it is lacking. I mean, this is a tangent for sure. But this this particular set of books doesn't deal with it. And when she does, it's like Ayla went to the river to relieve herself. Well, they, no. Empty herself. They
1: talk about her getting her, uh, They talk about Shark Week in this She starts menstruating. Yes. she's she's getting a visit from Aunt Flo and they talk about the rabbit fur that she uses. The absorbent uh, you know, soak up the evil that's coming out of her because Well, that's how they describe
0: it, and they have to go and live isolated (laughs) like they still do in
1: modern cultures around the world. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't got much better at handling the fact that women menstruate to make people.
0: Oh, no, it's just evil and thou shalt not come near my hunting
1: yeah. <laughs> apparel. Thou shalt not be a person around my persons. <laughs> yeah, Can't but you that. should have my baby, so you need to bleed to yeah. have my babies. I found also, like, obviously in a culture like that, I, the, the male-female relationships in the book at some points got a little, I don't want to say tedious, but it's like I, I don't know if I need another six pages on how shitty the life is of the cave woman and how, like, yeah. don't, like, I, I get that it's, she's, that's important to that culture. Supposedly she made that decision, but I found it. <laughs> sorry, Jack just picked your tooth. And it was no, I didn't.
0: I'm, I'm my allergies thing. are really bad. And the only way I can scratch my inner ear is through the inside of my mouth. I'm serious. You can edit that out if you want to. Oh
1: no, that's that's staying in like that that's gonna be the new intro to every episode from now on.
0: No, it it's my it's seasonal allergies. And okay.
1: But that did do you find that stuff tedious to go through now? Do we have any evidence um, that it was that horrific?
0: I think but, it was. I mean, look at where we just are now. Oh,
1: to be fair, it's twenty nineteen. And we're twenty nineteen and it, we're it, still
0: struggling with the patriarchy. Yeah. So yeah, do I think it was that bad? Mm-hmm. And this is also being written from the perspective of a woman. Remember, so. Um, but you would
1: think that she'd be like
0: a and by more a
1: female author. Yeah.
0: Um. I don't know. This isn't.
1: i was shaking my fists in a gesture right now. You can't see it because this is radio.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <This> is- <laughs> I forget about that.
0: Um. It. Yeah, I thought this might come up too—the horrendous treatment of women—but it has to be all put into a contextual space, right?
1: Yeah, like it, it like fits rape in the- was
0: normal, non-consent was normal.
1: Well, it's they they deal with that interesting because it's interestingly, which is an odd thing to say. It only they only really deal with it as rape with Ayla. With the other the women of the clan, it's just oh, men relieve themselves, and you just do that, and then go on, like, get up yeah. and go, oh, I got a wash on. Like,
0: And I think that it's important because in the book, he doesn't really do it in front of the other members of the clan because I don't mm-hmm. think that that was acceptable in this
1: world. Well, they talk about kids watching adults just kind yeah. of doing it at the hearth, like, just chilling and... So it's, the issue of sex is strange because it's, it's at least with the Neanderthals, she presents it as very much an, an animal situation. Like, yeah. like, they just, I don't think when the lions have sex, they're like, here's five dollars, go to the store, kids. Like, go and, no. go and sing with a meerkat while I do your mom. And like, she's
0: taking liberties because we just don't know. There's no written
1: yeah. record
0: of it. We can only go based on conjecture. Uh, Oral history, mythology, and then looking at cave paintings in France. Lewd cave paintings, and looking (laughs) at modern (laughs) cultures, living cultures that Mm -hmm. still live in a primitive way, that look at sex like that. And we can look at our own Western culture, who some men just Decide they need to relieve their needs and
1: take their liberties with other women. Well, it's still like that. in a
0: Yeah. Lot of, so we haven't really come a long way.
1: In a we're, lot of we're, we're taller, and we can we can three dimensionally think about how to just be fucking horrible. Yes. So yeah. yeah. So is is there anything else you want to touch on here? Because I think speaking of things that are fucking horrible might be a good segue into uh, cinema.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the movie.
1: Okay. <sighs> It's it's actually kind of sad because we we watched as a bunch as kids. Yes. So obviously you were so into the book that as soon as you found out it's a movie, it's like the blockbuster we go.
0: What and I believe I have blockbusters copy when if they sold it copy. off. Yeah. Um and I like I said last night I was in the honeymoon stage with the book <laughs> and I was so young we were twelve thirteen when we were watching it. I knew that it was wrong. I knew there was huge swaths of the book missing, yeah. and I'm not just talking like Harry Potter for Goblet of Fire when they leave out the House Elf politics. Yeah, that we can go. Okay, yeah, yeah I see it. They touch on it briefly. They left out ninety percent of the book, <laughs> and it changes the landscape and the face of the film and the story. And it's a piece of shit.
1: Yeah, it's. I haven't. I haven't watched this in. Since me
0: either. Green, I would have had no reason 14, to. 14,
1: 15 years old, maybe. Yeah. So, so it's been a long time since I've watched this movie, almost 20 years. And I didn't really have a clear memory of it. I remembered a couple of scenes. Like I remembered her, you know, spinning the, the sling and a couple of other stuff. But it's not like it didn't stick with me like No, oh, the that film was, didn't. That was a magical thing that we watched. So I wasn't expecting a lot from it. Like I wasn't expecting that we were going to sit down and watch like Quest for Fire or something, like a real serious look at at cavemen. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. It uh it was,
0: <laughs> it was so it, bad Marty went to bed. Yeah. He my husband usually will make it through a movie even if he's like grumbling under his breath like it's yeah. over yet, but he's like guys, I can't do this. It <laughs>
1: It's obvious, like, with the 80s, there was a craze of, if it was a best-selling book, like, let's let's get the movie made, let's get it out there. You know, King, Crichton, all that stuff. Clancy, was all, all doing it. So obviously this was going to happen with a book of this success. But it felt to me like the writer read the book once and then three weeks later made notes and then a, six months later wrote the script and didn't consult the book again just checked their notes. Yeah,
0: or the author. I I yeah. can't imagine that Jean All had anything to do with this because she is a meticulous writer. Yeah, she includes so much research. We've talked about a lot of it, and this was just a pile of rat garbage. Yeah,
1: <laughs> actual rat garbage—little tiny uh, chewing gum wrappers and yeah. No, it's.
0: I just think of Templeton.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte's Web. <laughs> um, it it is it is shockingly cheap yeah because but that that happens you know like the you sell the rights to the wrong person and like you sell the rights to the right person and you get misery you get the shining you get stand by me shawshank redemption the green mile you know all the the really great king adaptations you sell them to the wrong people and you get the graveyard shift and movies jack has no idea i'm talking about but some of our listeners might i know those king movies With giant giant rat bats? Graveyard shift?
0: I don't know the graveyard shift, but I know the other ones. The other ones,
1: yeah. And this is what it feels like to me, is that somebody paid her a boatload of money for the rights, and she gave them up, and they're just like, okay, fuck it, now we have to make a movie.
0: Well, and it's unfortunate that it wasn't someone that looked at it like a passion project. Like I look at someone like myself who is so passionately... Involved or was involved with this mm-hmm. book that you would want to sign those that over to somebody who would
1: do it justice. She must have been pissed. I can I can't imagine she was thrilled. Like it's it's an embarrassing adaptation. It it falls in I can only really reference King adaptations because there's so many. It falls into that weird category of they keep making stupid weird decisions that have nothing to do with the book while at the same time They're so slavishly trying to cram in stuff from the books. Yeah. Even if it doesn't have a point to the narrative. And I think that's the key problem is they never establish a narrative for this film. No. You know, it's... In in the book, we're just following Ayla and the clan. The book's called The Clan of the Cave Bear. That's what the book is about. Yeah. It's about their journey over six or seven years. And that's what you're looking at. That's it, yeah. She leaves when she's 12. Well, that's not a movie. That's not how movies work. You have to have like, okay, what, where is Ayla starting and what does she need, want or not want at the end and how do we prevent her from getting that? Like, does she want to get away from the clan? Does she desperately want to stay with them? Well, then the whole movie needs to be about Brown trying to push her out. Yeah. And that's, but they never have anything. It's just, it's almost like you're watching vignettes.
0: Yeah, it's a series of scenes shoved together.
1: Yeah. And it feels like they shot a lot more and it was cut out. And then they went
0: and reshot on some stupid soundstage. <laughs>
1: well, they rotoscoped the sky out in parts. It's parts of this movie look beautiful, even though they're they don't match really the settings in the book. Like, well, it's it's Yonda Bond who shot it, who went on to direct Speed and Twister, and he was an excellent director of photography. So his use of natural lighting and everything for a lot of the exteriors is great because it looks cold and shitty and yeah. wet and. But then they pan from this beautiful forest to these fucking wigs and <laughs> it's a little so bit of brown paint so on their faces. Like, there's no attempt to make them even look like Neanderthals. No,
0: and there you get a couple of them that they they gave them that really strong brow ridge and then the other ones just look like. Caucasian males, skinny. Yeah. And Neanderthals were anything but skinny. They were short, ro- like robust, stocky men yeah. and women. My like grandpa Hawthorne is <laughs> just stocky, yeah. little fat Irish people. Like, and they didn't even try. No. That hunting scene. They're all hairless. It's like somebody yeah. took a friggin' razor to all the men.
1: Some of them are actually hairless and oiled. And in then they just scenes.
0: tape, glue beards on, and crappy wigs.
1: Oh, the wigs. Oh my god! It it looks like a salon in New Jersey that's getting a bunch of women ready to go see Motley Crue in '87.
0: Yeah, in yeah. Certain
1: parts like just teased up hair that makes no sense. And like,
0: Ayla, they did well with until they Daryl Hannah comes in with her '80s fringe bang cut. Oh yeah! Like they didn't have bangs. They wouldn't, and if they did, well, that's a shocker to scientists. Everywhere, yeah. but I—I um, I would assume <laughs> Betty Page was a cavewoman. That they didn't have modern haircuts. Yeah,
1: like that. It's like I get—you've got to age her up for the sensibilities of what they're going to do in the film. You—you you but she
0: was a young child.
1: Yeah, like you can't have a movie where a ten-year-old is getting repeatedly raped. Like that's just fucking horrific. No, and you they do show and that you was do that.
0: They didn't set you up for the the mood of the film, in that they showed the rape scenes pretty vividly. Well, you, the whole thing.
1: You're you're dealing with this kind of bouncy idiot of a film, and then all of a sudden it grinds to a halt with a very ugly rape scene. Obviously, it should be ugly; it's a rape scene. But like, holy shit! And then the movie just kind of, you know, like oh, oh, squirrel, and just flights away. Yeah. It's like guys, you you. That's not how this works. Oh, they skip
0: huge periods of time. They leave out characters. Even though a lot of the main characters are credited in the film, um, they don't even talk about them. We don't get to know Uba, her sister. No,
1: she just kind of gawks in a couple of scenes and then she's gone.
0: Yeah, and she was a baby for most of the book. Yep. We don't get to know um, e- Ovra, um, Browd's wife. Yep. We don't really get to know Dirk. Very well, they don't go into the fact that he's deformed, and part of the reason in the book that he was an issue is because he's part Neanderthal, part modern human, which would have happened, and there's skeletal remains of children that are hybrids, and he was supposed to be killed because he looked deformed, but he wasn't. He was just a cross between the two, and he had a scrawny neck and couldn't hold his hat up. They don't even talk about that. No. That's a major thing.
1: They No, they try to talk about them. They say the baby, with their hand movements, is deformed and needs to be murdered. As the camera is focusing on this pristinely gorgeous little Perfect. baby that's laying there, it's like, guys, you couldn't have made an effort. Like, nothing. No. Like not, not even... They didn't even give it a brow ridge. Yeah, like, that's... That's to me, is it's lazy filmmaking, and there's parts where you can tell they made some effort, you know, like there's some great makeups. Uh, James Remar's Kreb is probably one of yeah. his best performances because yep. he's a very flat actor for everything else that he does, but you can tell that he's just pushing through this makeup. Um, Brun, the leader of the Bruin. clan, Brun,
0: I always thought Brun,
1: but whatever, the, the guy in charge. Did a good job. He captures that kind of soulfulness that the character has in the book. Daryl Hannah is an excellent actress, but it's really just she runs around and there's a lot of shot of her legs. Yeah. that's She
0: groans a lot and cries a bit.
1: Yeah. There's just, there's no character. And the whole book is about character and the interaction of our differences. Yeah. And how that can succeed and fail and instinctual walls and n- nothing. No. Every now and then a narrator, who's the female changeling from Deep Space Nine, sample fact, shows up to desperately try and pull some threads back together. It's been 38 winters since we last seen them. In one cut, you say? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, yeah. 95% of the book. And they do just that
0: horrible out. spinning scene where they age oh. the girl from Baywatch into... Daryl Hannah. Oh my
1: God, it's, it's embarrassing. It is
0: embarrassing. And that fight scene at the end is embarrassing. They they made up a physical fight scene between Ayla and Browd, yeah. her rapist, and the father of her child. Yeah. She beats him to the ground. She's yeah. learned like Cobb McGraw in the meantime. Yeah. and Instead
1: <laughs> of this beautiful ethical victory, this pure strength victory, she never had to fight him. She beat him through sheer force of will. Yeah. In the book, and now we're left with she just, Daryl Hannah is just kind of half slapping him
0: around. She kind of just like hi yahs him on the ground and uses his body weight. down, you. Get down. (laughs) And this is a guy that that kills musk ox on a daily. Like, this is not. Yeah, he's powerful. Okay, let's talk about the ending for a minute because this is an ending that always bothered me. Okay. And even more so when I have my own children. She willingly leaves her child there. Yeah, So this is
1: the book and the movie. And
0: the movie. So both do in this. the book, she gets cursed with death once Brown takes over leadership of the clan, which Brune soon realizes was a stupid choice. Um, <laughs> right, stupid and choice. And he takes it away from him. In the movie, he doesn't in the book. He just is like, well, nah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to walk into the woods and die now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like those who have come before me.
1: <laughs> I they don't know, but I've been stashing shelves away, and I'm going to open a kick-ass pizzeria. Yeah,
0: Right down pretty the street. Much. Yeah. <laughs> so... She could have taken her son with her, because once you're cursed with death, they assume that you're now a spirit because some guy has said so.
1: <laughs> so, because the guy with the the, the little shrivelly penis arm and the uh, <laughs> the shit on his face, it's like ah, oh, you're a fucking ghost now. Why? Because we said so.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be good. We put the yeah. bone through the bear skull, yeah. and
1: you uh, are. God, uh, did you not see the bone in the bear skull?
0: Yeah, <laughs> which is a true thing. They actually found a lot of those. Yeah,
1: sorry, I can't hear you. Phone and brush call. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so she could have picked up that baby and taken him, mm-hmm. and she decides, no, he's better off if he stays with his abusive father who hates him, who's going to make yeah. his life miserable because he's my son.
1: Yeah. And um, his aunt mom. And yeah. And I all of his authority f- figures are dead. And Ever
0: understood that plot character choice in any way that made me mad. It wasn't it's not even the same as Rose could have moved her fucking ass. Over on that door, <laughs> so that Jack could have got on. Well, yeah. he dies a page, whatever, he's supposed to die. There was no reason that she
1: couldn't take her child with her. It felt to me as sequel serving because she needs to run off into a romance series, and it's going to be hard to justify that she's a good person if she keeps trying to jam with Jondelar in the later books and the kids land on the fur next to her. It's like, just five dollars. Go to. Harper, I
0: suppose so, but I mean, it could have then been. This is the next wave of people. These this hybrid cross that then. Well, they like, talk we about that in the out book. The
1: Neanderthals. But it would be sensible if she, again, like as the franchise goes on in the books. You need to meet that group that have, all those half-breed people, whatever, have left their clan and she she's a new one.
0: briefly sees somebody she thinks might be Dirk, but then she doesn't want to upset him. So she just, like, no. As a mother, you could not, you'd have to kill me to separate me from my child. And she never seems to have that. And you would think that wanting a baby for so long, um, fighting for his life mm-hmm. by getting the first death curse, that she would be fierce enough. To take him with her.
1: And they also talk about how much, how more intense her emotional relationship with the child is than the rest of them.
0: Yes. it No, it makes no sense and it still really bothers me. So it always leaves me like, the last friggin' line of the book is the baby screaming mama into yeah. the distance. And she just leaves, she just fucking walks away. She just away. mounts.
1: Yeah. And lead. I go find
0: my valley full of horses to see you yeah, later. That's no. it. No, I can't, I cannot rest easy with that ending and... Even as the books go on, its I mean, it's heart-wrenching, okay, so maybe she wanted to victim, victimize her for the rest of it and make you feel sorry for her, but she made some pretty poor choices on her
1: own. It's like, if you want to get rid of the kid, like, just have the next book open with, and then the lion's jaws clamped around Dirk's head while Ayla ran. Or they could right? have
0: made the clan, like, actually make her leave and keep the child. Yeah. That, to me, In other... In positive sense yeah, like they they're saying, no, this child belongs to the clan because other women nursed her. You have to go now. yeah. um, but they didn't even do that. So that kind of up she made the choice to leave her kid.
1: yeah. so so the the already problematic ending is really not helping a super problematic film. No. and it's and it's a shame because there's potential like I'd like to see this as like a really good high- end Netflix miniseries.
0: I think it would be amazing yeah. with a moderate budget. A modern eye for it. Yeah. Um, The stuff they can do with makeup and costumes. And I mean, I personally am now an expert at dressing like a caveman. I dressed for 10 years in a row until I was 20, 28 years old.
1: Said that? More than that. Said that, like, without a hint of sarcasm. <laughs> it's like, you know, personally, I'm now an expert at dressing as a Like, I can't even do I, the inflection I made right. My,
0: I sewed my own costumes, boots, all of it for oh a. My God. For years on end. That's what I went as for Halloween. Well, as I'm my a doctor
1: go-to. of kinesiology. Like, you just said it. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, like so what the, what I'm saying is I should be doing the fucking costumes of this movie.
0: Yeah, I'm way past being able to play Ayla, and it's, Tash is so thoughtfully pointed out she's the blonde one why the hell do i have to be the dirty <laughs> brunette neanderthal
1: yeah
0: <laughs> i should clearly be ayla and she's right she if anyone in our family looks like ayla yeah it's tasha. it's
1: tasha and crystal jack's best friend growing up who were both blonde and then there's jack like nope they're both the little <laughs> sister yeah it's good it's gonna be great no this was for all of the frustrations of the book it was it was a worthwhile read like, and I'm glad I read it, not just from a perspective of, of just, it's an interesting book and that, but I can, to get kind of a window into why this would have intrigued you as, as a young person, yeah. as a child, that was fun Cause I can see those moments of, especially the educating moments and yeah, also and that's
0: why I was so drawn to it. The book yeah. educated you in such an immense way.
1: Yeah. And it's, you're getting information, but the characters are educating each other, so you're getting you're fully invested in the process. So I can I can easily understand now, like, okay, that's why she grew up to want to teach people about cavemen, because she read a book where they taught people about cavemen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well shit, that was a long fucking thirty plus year roundabout.
0: It was, but you know what, completely satisfying because I love sharing that with people. And the majority of my students actually want to learn about Neanderthals. They're fascinated. They get a bad rap at being wife-beating, hair-dragging, meat-eating. But they weren't. From what we've gleaned, they were not. And I just, I find it, I could talk about it for hours and I'm really restraining myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> without getting too I mean I do watch some of the kids or students, they're not kids, doze in class. So the ones that really don't want to be there but it only fit with their schedule. Yeah. So but I find that it, it's it's an interesting topic.
1: No, it was and this was interesting. And I, I would recommend the book to almost anybody if you're if you're a reader of any kind. Uh take it slow. Like, really take it slow. Like, don't try and sit down and beach read this one. Because it ain't a beach. No,
0: ride. I wouldn't take it on vacation. No, no. I mean, I would.
1: Well, you would personally, yes. But the rest of the world.
0: Stick with the murder mystery.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just go and get a fun mystery to read. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it was, it was good. Um, any fans of... I can't even recommend the film to fans of bad movies.
0: I would never recommend it in general.
1: Because it's a movie that... It seems to depend wholeheartedly on you having read the book because they're giving you so little information. Well,
0: Mar had no idea what was going on. He's like, why is this happening? And I know we both now know the entire story. So we're like, okay, yeah, this is this, but they don't give you that. But at the
1: same time, they fuck it up so much that the people that have read the book are just frustrated. So I don't know who the film was made for. And it's not goofy enough to be funny. Like it's not something like there's a caveman movie that Ringo Starr made right. in the seventies, yeah. which is ridiculous. Like there's a bunch it's of. It's not a farce. No, like there's a bunch of old goofy caveman Italian stuff. Wild Women of Wongo is hilarious. Yes, that's a real movie. Um, and
0: oh, oh, I was trying to. No, the Gods Must Be Crazy wasn't. Yeah, that's, that's a historical different. fiction. It was a modern. Yeah. But so, that one is kind of a, a farce. Yeah,
1: there's. I can't. I honest to god don't know who to recommend this movie to. Don't ever. Yeah.
0: Please don't ever watch it.
1: Like, if you're a fan of Daryl Hannah's legs, there's a lot better movies. To she was in Sacred 50 Foot Woman, for God's sakes. Like, just go watch yeah. that. Like, there's nothing I can say about this that's kind. Like, no. I felt embarrassed for this movie in the way that I felt embarrassed for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, really? I felt embarrassed for that film.
0: Oh, come on. The Clan of the Caper is way
1: worse. It's, it's a worse film. But Jurassic World is almost more embarrassing because it should have known better. So I felt embarrassed for that Oh, I have
0: something positive to say. The score. Yes. The score was pretty magical.
1: No, the score was confusing because it alternated... Because Alan Silvestri is a fucking incredible composer. He went on... He's gone on to do amazing things. But it alternated between some really interesting tribal heavy percussion to an orchestral score that sounds like he was doing it on a borrowed casio keyboard that he took from yeah a some of it
0: is for sure like you're it, right
1: it, it alternates between that very powerful percussive tribal score to i don't know if they went back and redid the maybe score they did, or maybe did cuz some or, of
0: it's really haunting and it reminded me a bit of titanic that yeah. like with the vocals and the kind of the choral in the back
1: some like you can tell that he's trying to do something But then it's just like, oh, you borrowed your daughter's starter. Because he probably
0: watched the movie and realized it was a pile of ratchet. Yeah, and went,
1: I'm not even going to try. Yeah, it's like here's all the themes I did uh, during pre-production. You can have those, and then uh, there, I'm going to hold one key down on the keyboard. (laughs) It's the demo button under (laughs) tribal sounds, and that's all you got. Yeah, yeah, I can't. uh, James Remar's crap. I would recommend that, other than when he puts on that stupid bear suit and with the.
0: Big with, furry tentacles hanging on. Yeah,
1: that makes no sense. It's the hentai bear. Like, no. it's just like, Okay, ridiculous. so
0: let's end with the book was amazing. Yes. Lots of good stuff in there. Really recommend that to anyone who's fans of historical fiction, because it takes you to another time and place. Yeah. But don't ever watch the movie.
1: No, there's absolutely no reason. No. And if you read the book, you're going to be tempted to watch the movie, and... Uh, we warned you. Buyer beware. Don't you know. say we didn't tell you. Yeah, you've been told. So, thus concludes our uh, our birthday celebration month. Jack, did you have a good birthday month?
0: I did. I think it was a pretty good representation of of who yeah. I am as a person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Titanic and Clan of the Cave Bear. That's just Jack. It's on our business card.
0: Oh, and Wizard of Oz. Yes. Returned did to
1: we rest. do Wizard of Oz and Return to Oz?
0: We did those last three
1: yeah. in a There's row. How many goddamn episodes have you had in a row? Which is probably actually fitting because we're about to crush oh, into some no. pretty heavy Bob content for the next two months. So as we uh, as you should all know, and if you don't uh, get some learning next month is October that's next month. Halloween yes, Halloween time so Mexico I'll go to Mexico next month yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited uh, for other than Jack getting to go away to the tropical climes, Halloween means horror movies yeah, yeah so. It is going to be two episodes. We are going to deal with all horror all the time, and Bob is very excited. We are going to be kicking off the month of October with episode eight, where we are going to be talking about something I've wanted to cover for a very long time. I talked about one of these films on A Frame of Part, but we are going to be looking at John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, with the films The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. And, I still
0: remember the posters. I have yeah. no frame of reference or
1: anything. Uh, I don't think Jack would have seen any of these. You might have seen some of the things. When thing.
0: your stupid yeah. scary movies were mm.
1: stupid when I was a kid. Yeah. So it's John Carpenter, the writer-director, looking at the end of the world through three very different perspectives. Cool. And I am so excited. Because in the mouth of madness is like my favorite movies. Oh yeah, if it's end of the world shit, Jack's there. So that should be a lot of fun. So join us next time. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, remember, a lot can change in fourteen months.